the ultimate inheritance. We're talking about our identity. We've been doing that for the whole month of, of March. And, uh, you know, the first Adam, the devil got him to second guess who he really was, to second guess his identity. Uh, he said, if you want to be like God, you need to do this. And uh, the devil still does that to you and to me. If you want to, to be true, and Adam and Eve were created in the very image of God. They were like God, but the devil got them to believe that they weren't like God. So he says, you're really not like God. So if you want to be like God, you need to perform or do something. And so uh, he still uses that MO on us today. That's still his MO. You know, we are a child of God today, a son and a daughter of God. But he did that with Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. <coughs> it says, and suddenly... Jesus was baptized, and when he was came, comes up out of the water, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus did one miracle, before he did anything. But this is God, his Father, saying, You are my Son, and you're not just my Son, you're my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. The point is this. You and me, that, that's what he says over you and me every day. This is my daughter, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus heard that. He heard that. And then we see in chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, here he is questioning his identity. I know your father said you're the son of God, but if you really are the son of God, then you need to do something. You need to perform. He said, command that these stones become bread. So he was doing the same thing to the second Adam, Jesus, as he was doing to the first Adam, making him question his identity. If you are really created like God, if you are like God, then you should eat a of the fruit. You should protect, you should do something. The devil is doing that to every person on this planet. If you really are who God says you are, if you really are who God says you are, then you should perform. You should do something. So in Matthew chapter 27, here's the, uh, when Jesus is at the end of his life on this earth, Hanging on the cross, it says in verse 39, Matthew 27, and those who passed by blasphemy and wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. So all of Jesus's ministry for those three years that he was ministering, he was being attacked. And the way that he was being attacked is if you really are the son of God. His last thing to do on this earth as far as his death, burial, and resurrection, people are still saying, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Do you know who you are? Do you know who we are? Who are you? Because identity gives you authority. The reason that the church lacks so much authority is because the church doesn't know their identity. That's why we lack authority. 
Jesus said this. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I just want you to think about that. Now, if all authority has been given to him, does that leave any authority out? No, it doesn't leave any authority out. I just want you to keep that in the back of your head, all right? But uh, because of this, well, I'll just say it. You and I have been made one with Jesus, and so all authority has been given to you. All authority has been given to you, which means that no authority has been left out when it comes to you living on this planet. How many know you're not going to need any authority in heaven? You're not going to need authority in heaven, but you are going to need lots of authority while you're here. And the good news is you have all authority here. Amen. But I know this is that the key to transforming our city, the key to transforming even your life and my life is not uh, behavior modification, but it's an identity crisis. That's why we're not being transformed. It's because we don't know who we are. But, you know, for decades, the church, you know, is trying to tell us you, if you really want to be close to God, loved by God, accepted by God, then you need to perform. You need to do this. You need to quit doing this. Quit this and quit that and quit this and quit this. Then you'll be accepted. And so the church has fallen right into what the devil has been doing since Adam. If you really are a Christian, then you shouldn't be sinning. You shouldn't be this, or you should do this, and you shouldn't. And so there's always an attachment onto that. Your identity is not attached to anything that you do or don't do. <laughs> I mean, I think that's good news. You know, because the devil used to tell me, you know, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't sin. But obviously, you're not a good Christian because you sin. And you call yourself a pastor who sins. How can you do that? Sin does not qualify or disqualify who I am. Everybody say, that's good news. It's great news. You're right. It's great news. Why? Because, you know, we're always trying to fit into a behavior modification mode. And, and, and I'm telling you, no matter what you do, you, you're going to fall out of that mode, even on your best day. I mean, and the devil will just make sure somebody will, will cut you off in traffic to make you say, man, I haven't said that word in a long time. <laughs> Y'all are looking so holy today. But anyway, I know you're fl- you put your pants on just like me. Amen. Amen. So sin, because this is the problem that the devil doesn't know and that the church doesn't, well, the devil knows it, but the church doesn't know it, is because sin has been taken care of throughout all eternity. Sin is not a problem for humanity anymore. (laughs) Some of you are going, (laughs) it's not a problem. And if it is a problem, then the curse is still a problem to you and to me. Then sickness has to be conquered again. And then poverty has to be conquered again. And then I'm telling you, all of that is being conquered. Because the head of the snake was sin. So you cut the head off. You don't have to worry about any life in the snake at all then. 
I know, but Melody, one time she found a, uh, a snake. It, it, it was about 18 inches long. It was a baby snake. And, and we had Jared and Joel, they were just little ones playing outside. And I wasn't there. I'm usually the, the snake taker care of. You know, I know my snakes and I, I catch them I, or whatever. And no, we're not a snake handling church for those who are watching. <laughs> I thought I better qualify that. I better qualify that. I knew that church was weird. But anyway, but I, I, I enjoy catching snakes. But anyway, uh, I wasn't home, and so she didn't know what for sure what kind it was, you know, and we had little ones running around the garden and everything. When I got home, I could not even tell what kind of snake that was. Was. I said, she goes, what was it? I said, there's not one square inch of that snake that I can even look at. I mean, it was, it's like she put it in a blender. I go, what you do? Put it in a blender. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I go, what kind of, what? I don't know. I have no idea to this day. I mean, I, but anyway, why did I tell you that story? But anyway, the key to transformation is not snake handling, but it is this, knowing who you are in Christ. And none of us, including me, none of us 100% or even 90% know who we truly are. We don't. And I say this to our church for years, or I've been saying this, you know, is that, you know, the number one quality for any believer is to be teachable. And the more that I say that, the more I think, I don't think I'm as teachable as I thought I was which probably means you're not as teachable as what you think you are. I'm just saying, just a thought, probably a pretty good thought. But to be teachable, revelation knowledge. You know, Melly and I were talking, you know, about, uh, I forgot what it was, the subject was, but it was like when people don't uh, have revelation knowledge, you think, man, they, they don't think of something, and all of a sudden, boom, then they think of it. And w- They get a light switch turned on, a light bulb moment. But it's not that God is withholding revelation from you and me. God never withholds revelation from us. You know, when people say, oh, God finally told me or God showed me. No, he's never withholding revelation from us. It's just you were open to receiving. Did you hear that? Why is that important? Because there's things that you need to receive and that God wants to teach you, but you've been closed off to it. I, I mean, just four or five years ago, I got the revelation of grace. But before that, anytime somebody talked to me and says, do you understand grace? I would immediately, without hesitation, said, yes. I've been saved since I was seven years old. I grew up in the church. Of course I know about grace. Until God says, you don't know nothing about grace. And I went, come again? I'm in full-time ministry since 1991. And he says, and you know nothing about grace since 1991. But this is why I started receiving grace. It's not because God wanted to start showing and sharing me with grace. It was because at that particular time in my life, I let my guard down of all of my preconceived ideas and of all of my overwhelming knowledge and expertise, and I let my guard down, and I said, okay, God, I'm ready to receive. 
Now he says, now I can tell you and show you and give you revelation about grace. The problem is we've been decades taught things that people who were before us, what they knew, and they taught us, and it was passed down from generation to generation, what your pastor taught you, what your parents taught you, and how many know that there is a possibility that what they taught you was wrong. I've had to go to my daughter and my sons and say, you know, there's some things I taught you. I was wrong as your daddy and as your pastor. (laughs) But I didn't know. And I'm here to tell you, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to teach on this, but we've all gotten God wrong because of our filters that we've had on. Your parents, your pastor, yes, if you grew up in this church, your pastor got some things wrong about God. Veronica, I'm supposed to tell you this. You're going to get a house that's given by God. Okay. Anyway, so uh, this is, um, yeah, amen. Nothing against renting, but um, I've rented and I've owned. Owning is much better. But... um, And what I'm saying is this. I'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks or whatever, but uh, we've had filters on our, our experience of God and what we think and presume God to be. And we've learned a little, and some of that's been right, but a lot of it's been wrong. I'm coming to understand. You know, when we say God is good, we have no clue. We really don't. Even that has a filter on it when we say God is good. We go, and every, all the Christians would go, amen, brother. You don't have a clue. I don't even have a clue how good God is. We just don't have a clue. Why? Because no matter how or what we think, we've had filters even on God is good. Up to a degree, he's good. There's no limit to his goodness. There's no end to his goodness. But anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 17. So my point is this, that we need to be open and teachable to get a revelation because we've had knowledge, but we haven't had revelation. You know the difference? Knowledge is that you know it between your two ears, but you don't conceive it and understand it inside of you, in your heart. Matthew 16, 17 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you didn't get this from just some teacher who's teaching you this. You got revelation from God my Father. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. All of a sudden, Peter got his identification, but he didn't get his identification until he understood who Jesus was. I'm going to say it again. He, Peter got his identification. Jesus says, you're Peter. But he didn't get his identification of being Peter until he got his identification of who Jesus was. Did you get that? So it says, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what is he saying? Now that you know your identification, now you're going to have authority, which tells me if you don't know your identification, you're not going to have authority. And it's not because God is withholding it. It's because true identification will automatically give you authority. An understanding and revelation of authority. 
He says, what if you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven? Whatever you loose on earth is, does that sound powerful to you? That sounds pretty powerful to you. Was God withholding that revelation? No, it's just all of a sudden he understood who Christ was. The greater revelation you have of who Christ is, the greater revelation you have of who you are, and the greater revelation you have of you, the greater authority you have on this planet. How many of you are going to need any authority in heaven? You're not going to need authority in heaven. Where do you need authority? Right here in Pueblo, Colorado, or wherever you may live. So, but we have to surrender sometimes of our belief system, even of what we think of who God is. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't I'm not saying be gullible and think that, you know, well, Muhammad may be right and these people may be right. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. Even though Jesus is truth, our perception and understanding of him needs to constantly be changing because he's Jesus. Which means there's no, there's no finite to the truth. It's, it's endless because it's Jesus. Which means you and I cannot comprehend all that Jesus is in truth. So you and I need to constantly be changing. If we come to a point to where we no longer are growing in our understanding of truth, then you're stopping right there in your revelation. Does that make sense? Or does that scare you? Trusting. It means to believe in a person or object to the point of reliance upon, to be confident, firm belief in the reliability, truth, and ability or strength of someone or something. Logic requires information. In our brains, that's the way they operate in logic. Trust requires believing in, in what God has said in his word and, or about a promise. The natural mind has to have logic, though. It doesn't understand faith or walking in the spirit. It doesn't understand about trusting God. No, because logic wants to know, how's this thing going to work? How's it going to pan out? And sometimes when you're just trusting and having faith in God, somebody go, you know, like me, how are we going to get another building and pay for this one? And how are we going to get, you know, a 25,000 square foot building? Somebody asked me that, I go, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the money. But trust and having faith in God is that my logical mind doesn't have to figure it out. I'm trusting God. But your logic mind says, how? Trust me, man, that runs back here in the back of my mind. All that. How are you going to do that, Mike? You already said everybody's thinking that. And so I, what, what, what happens if you don't do it? And what's going on? You know, and no. Trust. The natural mind wants to have this logic and wants to understand it. But, you know, I remember when I was a young teenager, I remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when it talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart. And then it says, lean not in your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Lean not to your own understanding. What does that mean? You just don't quit thinking with common sense? No. But when you're trusting God, there's always going to be times when you do not use logic and trusting in your common sense thinking. And that goes crosswise with all of us from time to time. Does it not? But you acknowledge him, it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, in all your ways you acknowledge him and he's going to be the one who directs your paths. He will. So logic, it needs for it to make sense. 
and our walk with God, there's going to be times where it does not make sense. But you trust him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us. Now, here's the logic part. Your brain goes, I don't really believe that because I don't see it and it's not happening. But the trust part comes back here and it says, everything we could ever need for life. Does that leave anything out? Everything that you will need in this life, everything that you will ever need. I just don't have peace. I need more peace. I need more patience. And don't be like Solomon. I need a hundred more wives. You know, there's probably a sub point to him being the wisest man in the world because I still, I'm just saying, but anyway. You have 700 wives. Yeah, I don't know if you should be called the wisest man. But anyway, that's just a... <laughs> I'm just being funny. Chill out. Holy cow. <laughs> women are smart enough not to have 100, 700 men. That's, that's, that's... And all the women said... Yeah. yeah. They just think, <laughs> we're a lot smarter than that. <laughs> Everything... <laughs> I got to get back to this. Everything, 2 Peter chapter 1. Love you. Anyway, 2 Peter chapter 1, everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us. Where is it? It's where? It's in you. But your logic mind is going to go crosswise with this. But this is where the trust part comes and says, I may not sense it. I may not feel it. It may not seem like it's going on. But I know that I'm trusting God that whatever I need, it's on the inside of me. By his divine, it's been deposited in us by his divine power. In other words, you couldn't perform to get it to get inside of you. You couldn't do anything to get it inside you. It says it's been deposited in you by his divine power. In other words, God put it there. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him. Jesus said eternal life is knowing him. That's eternal life. It's not living forever. It's knowing Jesus. So when you get to know him, and this is why, you know, we read our Bible, we, we fellowship and pray, we come to church, we're wanting to know more of him, not to be accepted by him, not to be loved more by him, but so that we can see the manifestation of all this stuff that's been given and deposited on the inside of us. So he said, it's been through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. God wants you to experience his goodness. As a result of this, verse 4, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature. Did you all hear that? Partnership with divine nature? Have you ever gone in partnership? with somebody, you know, if it's either a business or you're doing something in partnership, that means that you're one. It means not one's up here and you're down here. No, when you're partners, it's co-equal, you're together. 
God is saying that I've called you into partnership with what? Partnership with the divine nature. Ooh, that makes religious minds just go tilt. Partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. So your logic brain is going to go, there ain't no divine nature in me. Partnership, man, I'm not even the janitor in this business. But that's not what the word says. It says you are partners with the divine nature that's been deposited on the inside of you. How can we embrace this? Your logic mind cannot. So if you're trying to figure this out between your ears, you're between your ears would go, no, I, I just know. I can't accept that. It's not there. I don't understand it. So no, it's got to be revealed to you in another way. And Jesus says in John 8, 31, he says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. So if we have bondage in any area of our life, it's because we haven't embraced the truth in that area. If you're in bondage to, to sickness and disease, to poverty and to lack and to no peace in your life, if you're in bondage to this or to that, if you're in bondage to anything, it's because you haven't embraced the truth in that area. It's not God withholding. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. You don't know that song. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> Jesus is teaching this in the temple, and he's given this great revelation and knowledge in all of the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, man, he didn't go to our school. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. What? And so in John chapter 7, verse 15, this is how Jesus says he knows things. He says, the Jewish leaders were astonished by what he taught and said. How did this man acquire such knowledge? He wasn't trained in our schools. Who taught him? He didn't go to such and such Bible school. He didn't go to such and such uh, church. Who taught him? Verse 16. So Jesus responded, I don't teach my own ideas, but the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. If you want to test my teachings and discover where I receive them, first be a passionate to God's will, and then you'll be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. Charlatans praise themselves and seek honor from men. But my father sent me to speak truth on his behalf, and I have no false motive because I seek only the glory of God. So this would be great advice for today. And it gets the heart of receiving revelation, our motive. Motive. What's in your heart? You know, the King James Version says in verse 17, if anyone wills to do his will, he's going to know. He shall know. So if you're going to have revelation, knowledge, you know, we, we need to say, okay, I'm just going to let my guard down, and, and I'm just believing for your will. I want the true heart of God. That can be scary for some of us because it may be decades of doctrinal impartation and brainwashing. We've all been brainwashed. You know, people say, well, I'm not biased. Everybody's biased. Unless you were born in a cave and lived there all your life and didn't ever see a human being, you're biased. That goes on real well. 
Let me give you a quote. I was reading this article by a, a pastor in Wisconsin. His name is Mel, M-E-L, Wild. He said this, this may seem a bit like driving in the fog. He's talking about letting your guard down and surrendering things that you've believed. This may seem a bit like driving into the fog at first, but when our motive becomes God-centered with an attitude of surrendering everything that gets in the way, our thinking becomes uncluttered for him to pour out his wisdom on us. Did you hear that? With an attitude of surrendering everything that gets in the way, our thinking becomes uncluttered for him to pour out his wisdom on us. You know, I've taught our kids, you know, when they're driving, I said, you know what's worse than driving in snow and slick roads? I said, dense fog. That's one of the most scariest things to drive in is dense fog. I mean, because, and this year, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like we've had more fog this year than we've ever had. Is it? Okay, three of us. But anyway, maybe I've observed it more. Maybe it's in my house. Fog just, can't see the house behind me. I go, wow, it's foggy outside. I just assumed that it was everywhere. It could just be in Pueblo West at my address. But um, obviously it is since you're looking at me funny. But uh, the thing is about fog, you, it's, it's kind of, you don't know. You don't know what's in front of you. You can't tell what's in front of you. But, and, but then all of a sudden it, it, you bust out of it and it's bright and it's, you can see everything. And it's just like, oh, that's what revelation does to you and to me. You think you know some things, but you're, it's like being in a dense fog, and then all of a sudden you bust through that, and God turns the light on, and it's not because he's withholding the light. It's because now you're teachable and open to what he wants you to know. Does that make sense? So Jesus said, the words that I speak, they're spirit and they are life. They're not necessarily logical. They're spirit and they are life. He says, and many people don't receive that it's because they're trying to logically figure it out or intellectually figure it out and his words are spirit and life and they're not supposed to be figured out intellectually. But don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, oh, so we get to be dumb in life? No, you, that's obvious of a lot of people who think that way. But I mean, I'm just saying. Anyway, I'm just saying. That God's words are spirit and life, and we have to say, okay, Lord, there's some things I obviously don't understand, so I, I want you to show me them. Let me see the spirit of the thing and, and, and the life that you're trying to show me because I've been shutting the door on this, and I'm wanting you to know I'm opening the door to this. So, Because his words are spiritually discerned. They are. John 6, 63 says, the Holy Spirit is one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is of no help. Is that pretty plain? The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. Was it because Jesus was withholding something? No, he said, you're not believing because I'm giving you the truth. I'm giving you the words that are spirit and life, but you've closed the door to where you don't want to know the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, but God now unveils these profound realities to us by the spirit. Yes, he's revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? 
So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. Verse 12. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace grace has lavished upon us. You're not going to understand all that grace has lavished upon you and me by trying to get it through your logical understanding. Did you hear me? You're not. It has to be spiritually discerned. Whether it's the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. People say, I understand the love of God. There's no way you can understand all the love of God because God is love. God is grace. God is all these things, which means there's no end to it, which means you and I have to continually, continually adjust our understanding to what God is. It's not that one day, oh, I got it figured out. I thought that years ago. Man, I got this faith stuff. I just think it's, I got it figured out until I woke up from my dream. It was a joke. But anyway, you, we, we don't have everything figured out. You don't. I don't. None of us do. An attitude of surrender leads, though, to great faith. It really does. Trusting God. And this great faith will cause you to walk in a lifestyle of tremendous revelation. Not to be flaky, because I know you can, you can just start receiving everything that everybody says. No, I'm not saying that. You know, I know some people that are, you know, I would call ooky spooky spiritual and uh, are flaky. And I'm not saying to be gullible. I'm not. But most people are so far in their religious values and their traditions that they don't ever have to worry about uh, being flaky or gullible because they don't let their guard down for anything of the, about the truth. Your truth should always be so solid that even when people question it or the devil questions it, you need to have a revelation that I'm not afraid of questions. I used to be afraid of questions years ago. The devil said, if you are this, don't be afraid of questions. If your foundation is solid enough, it can withstand any questioning. Are you there? But the ultimate inheritance... This is the point that I'm getting at. The ultimate inheritance, the reason I laid a foundation of revelation knowledge, the reason I laid a foundation of making sure that you let your guard down because what I'm about to show you and teach you is that your logical mind will just go tilt on what I'm about to tell you. Are you hearing me? So we need revelation knowledge. You need to have an open heart to surrender and say, God, I'm ready to receive anything that you want me to have. And I know you want me to have some things, and I may have been close to this. I may have been close, you know, like the goodness of God and like the sin problem. Man, I, I was not open to that until even a year ago, less than a year ago. Because I thought, you know what, sin is still a major thing, though. I know the grace of God is done with this, and, but, you know, I just feel like sin, you know, if, if we sin, it just causes inroads to our life. And the Lord said, okay. That's, is that what you think? Yeah. It's not what I think. Sin has repercussions, Mike. Everybody would say, you rob a bank, you're going to probably have a prison ministry. <laughs> has nothing to do with God. Put you, you can't say, yeah, God put me in prison. No, it was the, the Pueblo Police Department. 
And rightfully so, I might add. No, so sin is its, it's really its own punishment. God is not punishing you for your sin. I used to be intimidated when I got quiet. <laughs> Not anymore. If sin is still a problem, then God really didn't conquer it. Listen to me now. And if God did not conquer sin, then everything that sin has brought into this world, I am still subject to. This is why God, man, he just turned my world upside down. He says, Mike, I want you to repent, which means to think differently about sin. You think sin is this powerful thing that the devil just, he's wheeling the sword and, and just has you in, in under submission to sin and sin is over you. You need to repent and think 180 degrees the way that I think about sin. Sin has no power over you, whether it's sickness, disease, or any. The door has been closed to sin forever throughout all eternity. Amen. Man, when you think that way, just I felt like chains just, just started coming off of me. I went, wow, I'm free. You remember what we read? True freedom is knowing the truth. Any area that you're in bondage to, it's because you don't have the truth in that area. So the devil is just getting found out. He said, I, well, you know, I, I can, you, I, sin is still powerful. I'm just telling you, it's still powerful. No, it's not. It has, just like Jesus, when they were coming in the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, he said, they're coming, the enemy's coming, Satan's coming, but he has nothing in me, nothing on me. That's you and me today. That's you and me today. Sin has nothing on me. Well, your logical mind says, you still sin. Yes, I do. How's that for a transparent pastor? Yes, I do still sin. Just seeing if anybody passes out. I still do. But it has no power over me. It has nothing on me. And it cannot even stop the love, the acceptance, the welcoming, and the promises of anything that God has done for me. Nothing, none of that can be stopped by sin. Now, that just ticks the devil off because he's always held that over me. I don't know, maybe he didn't hold that over you, but I just thought, oh, and it would be the smallest little thing, you know, like I lost my temper on the dog when he had diarrhea in our living room. You know, and I, I got mad. Ooh, ooh, that ungodly anger. I wanted, I had thoughts of killing the dog. <laughs> thoughts. I thought I should hesitate. This is being watched by all kinds of people. But anyway, but so then the devil would say, a Christian wouldn't think that way. So I would thought, oh. 
so I would let that have victory over me. You see where I'm getting at? Now, no sin that I ever do or even think about doing has any kind of victory over me, ever. Therefore, because sin doesn't have victory over me, nothing in the devil's kingdom, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, nothing of that can now no longer have victory over me. You see how the repenting, the thinking differently about sin now, it just has nothing on me now. So I'm just like, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I can sing that for a long time. But I won't because my wife may get start holding her ears. But this is the ultimate inheritance. Are you ready? I'm trying to get to my main point. When we talk about heaven, when people talk about heaven, do you have this picture that God and his unbelievable throne? Have you ever just thought about what kind of throne God's sitting in? I mean, this unbelievable throne, this huge throne, you know, ivory with lions, you know, not the ivory lions. I mean, real lions, you know, it's not imitation anything. It's the real lion. I mean, I've just pictured all kinds of things and then millions and billions of people out there. Have you ever had that kind of? And the Lord says, I'm going to show you something different. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes. Who's that? That's, that's us. Anybody who's ever accepted Jesus, you know, and believes that he's been resurrected from the dead, you have overcome. Are we all on the same page? Are we all on the same page? Everybody say, that's me. So he's talking about you. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me. To sit with who? God. To sit with me on my throne as I overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, Mike, you're not out there. To him who overcomes, I grant to sit with me on my throne. He says, Mike, you're, you're up here with me. Come on now. Did you hear that? Jesus is saying, you're not out there in a the crowd. You're up here in a place of authority. Who, who sits on the th throne? The person who's the king, who has all authority. They're the one in charge. They're the one with all authority. He says, that's where you're seated, Mike, up with me. Whoever overcomes sits with me on my throne. I went, what? My logical brain goes, oh, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm not. Oh, your brain goes, I'm not worthy to do that. I'm not kidding you. you that's your logic brain talking. And you need to just say, you need to shut up. Because I'm going to trust God and what he has said. And I'm seated on the throne. Now, it's not when you die, though. Everybody thinks, oh, yeah. Let me read from the Passion Translation. It says, to the one who conquers. This is Revelation 3.21. To the one who conquers, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The one whose heart is open, here's the revelation part. The one whose heart is open, let him listen and careful and listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying now. Everybody say now. Now to the churches. You gotta have an you gotta have revelation. You got a heart's gonna be because your brain's gonna go. I don't understand that. This is what Ephesians, Paul understood this. Paul said in Ephesians 2. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, he says, 
Even when we were dead and doomed on our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now, everybody say now. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. That's not, this does not happen when you die, honey. He said, right now, you are co-seated with Christ. Everybody in here is seated in Christ in heavenly places right now today. Now, your logical brain goes, how can you be in two places at once? I don't understand. I don't feel like I'm on any throne. The only throne I've ever been on is the toilet. It is white. But anyway, and no, what he's saying is this, that if you try to logically f- figure this out, you'll never get there. And all this lavish grace that's been provided, you won't be able to comprehend and you won't experience all the goodness of God. But it's not because he's withholding it. It's not because he's held it back. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you, this is the way life is. That's the way I see you. But the most important thing is hell knows what you look like. Heaven knows what you look like. But the problem is you and I don't know what we look like. (laughs) Man, we are seated right now. March 31st, 2019. We are seated right now, co-seated on the throne of God. Everybody in here and those people who are watching, that's where you are at right now. Not going to be, not having to perform to get there, not because of the devil saying you're this, you're that, if you try harder. No, right now it's because of the divine nature. He says, I've partnered with you and now we're one and that's where we're seated. Amen. Let's stand.